The following sermon audio is from The Source Church in Plainfield, Illinois. More information about The Source Church can be found at www.thesourcechurch.life. This morning's scripture reading is from the book of Titus. We're finishing up the book of Titus this morning. We're in chapter 3 of Titus. Uh, Would you please stand as we read God's word? He says to us this morning, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. You can be seated. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we are so grateful for your word that you have given to us as a rock to stand on. Lord, you know that we live in a time and a place where the ground under our feet seems to to move and to shift so rapidly. And we thank you for truth, that there is truth, that you are truth, that you have given us truth. And we pray this morning, as we look at these words that you have given us, that you would speak to each of our hearts. Father, would you get me out of the way this morning? 
speak your word. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we dig into the text in Titus chapter 3 here, I want to set the stage and provide a little bit of context. In Matthew chapter 28, we see Jesus right after the resurrection. This is near the end of his time on earth, and he's meeting with his disciples. And then he gives some final instructions. And this is what he had to say in Matthew 28. Could you uh, read this along with me, please? This is what Jesus said at the end of his time. Uh, Let's read this together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These are his instructions that Jesus leaves. He says, make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Some translations use the word obey there. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so here we are in the book of Titus, just 30 short years after Jesus said that. And this is exactly what Titus is doing. Titus is on Crete, and he's making disciples. Take a look here um, at this map of the eastern Mediterranean. You see Egypt down at the bottom, and and then you see Israel over in the lower right-hand corner. Um, Modern-day Turkey is up at the top right, and then to the left of that, you see Greece with Corinth and Athens. And there's Crete, this large island to the south of Greece. So that's where Titus is. That's where he's making disciples, and Paul is writing to him. This is a place on Crete where just 30 years earlier, the people had never heard before of the good news of what Jesus had done for them. So Titus went, and he made disciples, and he established churches, and he taught them to obey. Paul wrote to Titus to encourage and to exhort him in his work. Now, Scott showed us in chapter 1, that Titus is to establish order in the churches. He is to appoint elders and to rebuke false teachers. And Brett showed us last week in chapter 2 that Paul gives Titus different sets of instructions for different groups of people within the church there. And now in chapter 3, Paul continues with more instructions. But these aren't divided among audiences because these are instructions for all the believers. So Jesus says, and Paul repeats, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And this is what he writes. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, 
to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Paul says we are to love all people. Gives us some examples, but the bottom line is he says love all people. Jesus taught us that the greatest commandment was that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul tells Titus, here's what it looks like for the Cretan believers to love their neighbor. Remind them, he says. Remind This is not the first time they've heard this. In fact, in the original language there, it it shows that this isn't something that he's supposed to do once. There's an ongoing nature when he says remind. So it's really more of a continually remind them. And remember, this isn't just for the Cretans. This is for us too. We need to be reminded we need to be continually reminded and encouraged. We are surrounded by a culture with an entirely different worldview than we have, than what we see in this text. We are constantly bombarded with different values and messages. This is why we need God's word. And frankly, it's why we need each other. It's why we need the body of Christ, why we need our brothers and sisters. It's why we need to be continually reminded. So what does Paul say we need to be continually reminded of? He says, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Notice that there are no qualifications or conditions here. He doesn't say if, fill in the blank, be submissive to rulers and authorities. He says, be submissive to rulers and authorities. This is addressed in Romans 13 and in 1 Peter chapter 2, even in more detail. And in both of those passages, there are no conditions given. There are no exceptions made. Now, we do know from Acts chapter 5 that there are times where we must obey God rather than humans. But except for those instances where rulers are directly instructing us to sin, we are to be submissive. Again, note that he doesn't say here, submit to rulers and authorities you agree with. This letter was likely written during the reign of Emperor Nero who mercilessly persecuted and murdered followers of Jesus. And it was in that context that Paul wrote, submit to rulers and authorities. Those rulers and authorities that exist have been instituted by God. So whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. That's Romans 13, by the way. I believe there is a word here for us in 21st century America and our polarized political climate. As followers of Jesus, we are commanded 
to submit to our rulers and authorities, except in cases of clear sin. And the next instruction here is similar. He says, be obedient. Most parents will understand the frustration of a child who pushes back or argues against instruction. Hebrews chapter 13 speaks of leaders in the church. And in that context, it says, be obedient so that they can lead with joy, not groaning. Leadership is hard enough as it is. Don't make it harder on them. We love our leaders and those in authority well when we make their work a joy and not a burden. Paul says, be ready for every good work. And we'll see more about this a little bit later, but notice the call to be ready. God provides us with many opportunities in any given day to do good. Be ready, he says, to take action in those opportunities. Be physically ready, of course. Be emotionally ready. But even more than that, be spiritually ready. Are you near to the Lord at any given moment? Are you listening for his voice? Or are you filling every spare moment consuming some sort of media? Be ready. He says, speak evil of no one. Avoid your natural inclination to say the worst about people. In fact, anytime you're tempted to speak poorly of someone, I encourage you to take the immediate opportunity to pray for that person instead. It's a really good reminder, and I speak with firsthand experience, that it's a wonderful way uh, to repent. Romans 12 says, Do not pay back evil for evil. Bless and do not curse those who persecute you. Now, Paul's not telling us here to ignore actual evil. He's talking more about slander here. Speak evil of no one. He says, avoid quarreling. James 4 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. Bible says we quarrel because of our own selfish desires. We're trying to prove that we're right or that the other person is wrong or both. We don't get what we want. This is not loving others. It's not putting their needs above our own. Paul says, be gentle. Gentleness is part of the fruit of God's spirit at work in us. In the Bible, gentleness is associated with a lamb, with meekness, with beauty, with wisdom and humility. It's used to describe It's like a nursing mother taking care of her children. 
Gentleness is the way that we correct or restore someone caught in sin. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. For the sake of transparency, I confess before you that this one is hard for me. It is far too easy for me to be harsh and not gentle. And so I would welcome you praying along with me that God would give me the grace to grow in gentleness. We show God's love to people by being gentle. And Paul says, show perfect courtesy toward all people. This is emphatic in the original language. He says, show perfect courtesy to all people. Now, the word in the original language of, that's translated perfect there is actually the exact same word that's translated all. So Paul's saying, show all courtesy to all people. He doesn't leave us a lot of wiggle room there. Show all courtesy to all people. We defer to others. We extend them grace. So this is what the Cretan believers and we are to be continually reminded of. This is what our conduct and our attitude toward all people should be. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. And show all courtesy toward all people. This includes the driver who cut you off on 55. This includes the grocery store cashier running at a third of the speed you would like them to be running at. This includes the president you did not vote for. This includes the person at work who mocks you because of your faith. We are to love all people. And the reason Paul gives is because we were once hard to love. Look at what he says in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. For, he says, Paul says, love other people because, verse 3, because we ourselves were once. 
Paul says, we were this, all of us, including Paul and Titus, including every one of us here. We were this. We were foolish without any spiritual understanding at all. We were disobedient to God. We were led astray. We were slaves to passion and to pleasures. We were passing our days in malice, in ill will toward other people, wishing awful things on them. We passed our days in envy. One commentator describes this concept of envy like this. The grudging spirit that cannot bear to contemplate someone else's prosperity. Isn't that awful? It makes my skin crawl just to read those words. We were hated by others and we hated one another. This was us. We need to feel the weight of the ugliness of this. The depravity of this. Hear this loud and clear this morning. This is what you were. And what I was. When Paul says to the Romans, there is no one who does good, not one. This is what he's talking about. Make no mistake, Paul says, about our sinful nature. And it's here in the midst of this picture that we get those two great words that turn all of eternity upside down. But God... We were all these ugly, horrible things in verse 3 with no hope at all of ever being otherwise. But God. Follow along with me starting in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. (sighs) Buckle up, because this is about to get really good. We are to love all people because we were once hard to love, but God saved us. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, this loving kindness, we understand goodness, but this concept of loving kindness, the the word in the original language there, it's the only time it's used in the whole Bible. And I'm, I'm going to tell you the Greek word because it's so similar to our word in English. The word is philanthropia. Philanthropia. 
we know the word philanthropy. It's made up of two rushed together, phil, which means love, and anthropos, which means mankind. It literally means love for mankind. When God's goodness and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. He saved us. Notice the active verb and the passive verb in there. Who did what? He saved us. There is a strong denial here of any contribution on our part. Neither our present good works nor our pre-belief efforts at good works had any bearing on God's kindness and love toward us. And there's an equally strong acknowledgement here that salvation is entirely based on God's mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, God's love has saved us. It has washed us. It has regenerated us and renewed us. We are no longer what we once were. Paul is referencing Old Testament imagery here of God washing and cleansing his people. talks of regeneration. That word regeneration means rebirth. Rebirth. Something that's made new again. Jesus said, he used the words born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. That's what this word means. Reborn. Born again. Made a new creation. And the Holy Spirit renews us. The Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly. God did not drizzle the Holy Spirit on us. He was not stingy with the Holy Spirit. He poured out the Holy Spirit. He poured out the Holy Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. See the Trinity at work here in this verse. God saved us. He poured out his Holy Spirit on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that. Purpose clause. Why did God do that? So that. Don't miss this. Being justified by his grace. Justified. Big, fancy seminary word. Here's what it means. I didn't go to seminary. I'm here for you. This is what it means. Being declared righteous in God's sight. It's like standing in front of a judge, totally guilty, and the judge says, not guilty. Justified. We have been justified before God. Forgiven of sin. This is a past action that we are recipients of. We do not, cannot, will never justify ourselves. We have been justified before God. 
Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now, not someday, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Because we have been justified. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God in his grace has made us heirs who expectantly look forward to eternal life in his presence. The same people, the same people who were also once foolish, disobedient, enslaved, and hateful. He has made heirs. Look at where we started in verse 3. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I said before, don't miss this. Cannot emphasize enough how important verse 3 is. And I cannot emphasize enough how important verse 7 is. Look at where we started and look at where we are now. Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is not on the basis of our righteous deeds, but as a result of this incredible inner transformation that God has done in us through the Holy Spirit. We are to love other people because we were once hard to love, but God saved us. And as we asked in our life group this week, so what? So, Paul says, devote yourselves to good works. Devote yourself to good works. Look at verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Devote yourself to good works. Don't just do them, devote yourself to them. This word shows up in early in the book of Acts when we see the early church devote. What did the early church do? Oh, they prayed, listened to the disciples' teaching, broke bread, had fellowship. It's not what Acts 2.42 says. It says they devoted themselves to prayer, to the fellowship, to the disciples' teaching, to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves. And here Paul says, devote yourselves to good works. Be intentional. Be careful to devote yourself to them. And not begrudgingly or out of obligation. These things, Paul says, these things are actually good for you. 
They're excellent and they're profitable. And at the same time, Paul says, avoid unprofitable things. Look at verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. We see this contrast between what is excellent and profitable and what is unprofitable and worthless. What is idle, what is empty, what is useless, what is fruitless. So avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law. These are not ways to love others. Don't get caught up in things that divide. In fact, Paul says, warn divisive people. Warn divisive people. Look at what he says in verses 10 and 11. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Sometimes loving someone well means helping them see an error in their life and gently restoring them. The intention here is to turn the divisive person from their error. It's an attempt to reclaim that person, to restore that person. This parallels biblical discipline that Jesus outlines in Matthew chapter 18. Quietly bring the matter to the person for the purpose of winning them over. Having nothing more to do with him is the most loving way to show him his separation from God, all in the hope that he will turn from his divisiveness and be reconciled with God and with us. And Paul finally closes by emphasizing again for the third time, oh, and by the way, devote yourselves to good works. Just in case you didn't get it the first two times that I said it in this chapter, I'll say it one more time in verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Paul says, because God has saved you and made you heirs, devote yourselves to doing good works. Paul says, love others the way that I've laid out for you here. Now, Paul acknowledges that unbelievers can be difficult to live with. It's not always easy to be gentle, to be kind, to be considerate. But God's kindness and love for humanity was shown to us. He asks us to show that same attitude to people that Jesus showed to us while we were as sinful and hateful as unbelievers are now. 
our actions toward those in verses 1 and 2 should be as unconditional as God's actions were toward us when we were the people in verse 3. I'm going to say that again. Our actions toward the people in verses 1 and 2 should be as unconditional as God's actions toward us when we were the people in verse 3. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were once just as sinful and as hard to get along with. But God was loving and kind to humanity. This truth about God's mercy, his kindness, and his love for mankind should be a motivation for us to perform good deeds toward sinful people. Our love for other people has nothing to do with their personality or their righteousness or their pleasantness or their merit or anything else about them. Our love for other people has everything and only anything to do with God. He is the reason we love other people. God loves them. And if he does, and if we want what he wants, then we must love him too. Look at how he loves us. Look at what we were in verse 3. But God loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He loves us that much. No one should understand and empathize with people like those in verse 3 more than followers of Jesus. Let me say that again. No one should understand or empathize with people in verse 3 more than followers of Jesus. Because we were them. We know what it feels like to be that. We know what it feels like to be showered with God's love and with his grace. We know what it feels like to be cleansed from our filth and junk and garbage. We know what it feels like to be regenerated, to be reborn as a new creation. We know what it feels like to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. We know what it feels like to be set free from condemnation and to walk in freedom and in joy, to be made heirs of eternal life. We know what it feels like to have this glorious hope of the day when Jesus is coming again when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, when he will make all things new and call his people to himself and he will be our God and he will dwell with us and we will be his people and there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more death and no more crying anymore because the old order will have passed away and the old order is gone, the new order has come. We know what that feels like. We know what it feels like to be saved. We know. So, do you interact with others 
especially with unbelievers, in a way that reflects that God has saved you. We are surrounded with people who are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing their days in malice and envy, hating others and being hated. Have compassion on them. Have compassion on them. When Jesus looked out on Jerusalem, he wept and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Be winsome and love them because so once were you. You pray with me. God, we are so grateful and thankful that while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. We are so grateful that when we were this wretched person described in verse 3, that you pursued us and you saved us and you gave us hope and a name, heir, child of God. And you cleansed us. And God, we pray for the billions of people, five plus billion people around the world who have not left verse three. And we pray that you would use us, Lord, to love them well. that they would see what you have done in our lives as a result. That you might save them too. We love you, Jesus. And we ask this because we believe that this is your will. You want all people to come to a knowledge of the truth.